Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, ahoy, welcome along. It's a brand new episode of Writer's Routine where we find out how authors get stuff done. This week, we're joined by Rudy Ruiz. He's been a finalist for the International Latino Book Awards. You can hear all about his new one, The Resurrection of Fulgencio Ramirez. We talk about beloved Mexican songs that helped shape the story and why the rule of culture and heritage plays such an important role in his writing. It's become pretty important um, you know, over the years because I just am always drawn back to writing about um, these places, um, you know, which I'm familiar with, um, which I have history with, or, and my family has history with. At the same time, there's also a social dimension to it. So I don't like to make my work sound preachy or overly political, but at the same time, I feel like it's an opportunity to create empathy for uh, the types of people I tend to write about and to create greater understanding of border issues, immigration issues. There is more on the way with Rudy Ruiz in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes. Welcome along. Thank you for finding us, for following, for sharing, for pressing play, however you're listening. I really appreciate it. My name's Dan Simpson, this is Writer's Routine. Every week we chat to all kinds of writers. Debutantes, biographers, non-fiction writers, some of the world's most serial bestsellers. And we find out how they get things done. Where, when, how and why they write. This week, our guest is Rudy Ruiz. He's an author, an entrepreneur and a social advocate. And that last one is key. It plays a huge part in the stories that he tells. Now, he grew up along the US-Mexico border, and he knows all about the hardship that that life and that area brings. It's why culture and heritage play such a key part in his stories. He then went to Harvard and now lives in Texas, where I caught up with him from. The new book is The Resurrection of Fulgencio Ramirez, which follows a man who pursues redemption and the American dream in the face of a mystical family curse. Classic Mexican songs helped shape the novel. And if you take a look at his website, rudyruiz.com, dig around. He's put together a fantastic playlist of the songs that inspired him to write the novel. So when you've finished listening to this, if you're thinking about 
getting the book, reading the story, listening to that, puts you in a brilliant frame of mind for what Rudy was thinking about culture and heritage when he wrote the story. It's a fantastically detailed chat all about his working place and space and how he gets stuff done. And we get into it, as we always do, with what Rudy sees around him in the place where he sits down to write. Where I sit down to write is is kind of my, my writer's office or studio. Um, I've got a collection of old vintage uh, Olivetti typewriters uh, that kind of uh, inspire me. They, I've got all these fun colors, uh, red, orange, white, pistachio green, and yellow. And they're all like from the 50s and 60s. Uh, and they're a lot of fun. And uh, and then I see the beautiful outdoors. I live in, in San Antonio, Texas, which is kind of a, a very mild, temperate climate uh, this time of year and, and very hot in the summer. So uh, I see a lot of nice green greenery out there, palm trees, sun, you know, uh, uh, I, I, our house is kind of a Spanish style house. So I see the red tile roof and, and white stucco, you know, so it's very, uh, it's very, uh, much of this part of the world. <laughs> what is there on the walls there, Rudy? Some, something to expi- inspire you perhaps? Yes. I've got some great art on the walls. It's uh, a piece of modern, uh, art that my wife made, uh, which is really colorful and cool. Uh, a couple pieces of art that she made. My wife's a, a designer, and so um, her work always like uh, also inspires me. Uh, I've got a cool modern kind of white enamel uh, horse head on the wall, which which also inspires me. I like to write about um, sort of. I, I write my my work is is a blend of magical realism and also some historical fiction set like along the U.S.-Mexico border and, and Texas and like the southwest of the United States. So horses are kind of part of the culture. Um, and so that also inspires me. Um, then I've got a couple of my college and grad school diplomas on the wall. It just remind me that um, uh, there's more to me than than my imagination. <laughs> <laughs> well, is there anything practical on the wall? I'm talking very specifically practical for writing. I mean, like a whiteboard with your plot on it, maybe post-it notes that let you know where you're going, research notes, anything like that, Rudy. You know, I don't keep those on the wall, um, I, although I probably should. Uh, I, I, I keep them when I'm writing. Um, I, I really, I like to write my notes and outlines and, and reminders uh, you know, by hand on paper, but I tend to, I have a very large kind of a table that I use as a, as my work desk. And so when I'm deep into writing, all those papers will be, you know, arranged around the, around the table instead of up on the wall to kind of like, uh, you know, keep me focused. Oh, what else is on the table? Uh, trinkets, talismans? <laughs> uh, sometimes I, I have uh, a lot of pens, um, I have uh, often coffee and um, you know notepads and 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 that's about it really. My headphones for what sometimes I do want to get immersed into when I'm writing. Like I'll listen to some type of music that maybe helps me transport myself out of my immediate surroundings. You know, so I've got my headphones and 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 that's about it. I uh, we get quite niche 
people are very fascinated by what you're specifically writing on. So is it like a big computer with Word? What what is is it a specified software? Yes. Well, you know, I use like most people probably. Uh, and it, I, I use Microsoft Word. Um, for many years, I wrote exclusively on the laptop, and that was because I liked to, um, you know, like a lot of writers, I like to go sit in different places, change the scenery, and 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 write. Um, but over the last couple of years with the pandemic, I kind of didn't really, you know, do that anymore, and I really hunkered down in my in my in my writer studio, and I got a nice big uh, desktop, one of the new Apple. Yeah, IMAX. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And now I'm hooked, you know, because the screen, <laughs> the screen is so nice and big, and I can't believe I was hunched over a laptop for the last decade. <laughs> uh, how quickly was the change there? How much did it affect you? And when you decided to shackle yourself to a specific desk, was it easy for you to make that transition? You know, it was surprisingly easy. Um, I found that uh, it. it it really allowed me to create a more of a routine in terms of um, I recently finished um, um, a new novel. And so um, and I wrote it mostly during the, that time of the pandemic. And, and it just really having this routine of, of, you know, coming to this part of the house where where my 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 writing space is um, basically sent a message to the world that <laughs> I was I was deep into writing mode and, and people gave me my my space and, and I was allowed to focus, you know, so it was very helpful. Just lastly, on your writing space, you, you've taken us onto this new gigantic iMac. Uh, what what font do you use? Yes. Well, um, I use I'm, I tend to like to use something that is a serif based font that. Uh, I guess both is easy to read, but it feels like a little old timey. Uh, sometimes I'll use like a font like um, Modern Number Twenty. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Uh, it feels it feels kind of old to me. Uh, American typewriter. Sometimes I'll use that. Um, sometimes I'll just go with the classic Times New Roman. But um, yeah, pretty standard stuff, I think. I wonder if you can unpack how different typefaces make you write. So if you're using something that's kind of old-timey American, as you say, d does that help the way that you, you tell a story? You know, I think it can put you in a different mindset. Sometimes, because I like to write speculative fiction, you know, sometimes I'll write things that are more set in the future, and I like to go with a more modern-looking, you know, sans serif font just to kind of help me be in the mood. Um and then, like I said, when I'm writing stuff that's maybe set in the past, I like to write kind of with an old timey font. And I just feel like it kind of helps my 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 state of mind, you know, be immersed in, in a different in a different uh, mood. I typically, you know, go through the the, you know, everyday routine that most people require for survival, which is I have <laughs> I. I I take my kids to school um, or my kid at this point because we only have one that's still at home. Um, and then uh, I have my coffee and my breakfast with my wife. And and then I, you know, I, I, I go to my writer's, uh, you know, office and I and I and I hunker down and I'll usually work, you know, two, three hours 
uh, at a stretch is what I find I'm most productive and break for, you know, break for lunch and so forth. Um, if I'm really deep into it, I'll do a second stretch of writing in the afternoon. Um, and you know, when I'm really, when I'm really, really going, I'll have to do even a third stretch after dinner and like right into the night, but it just depends, you know, that depends a lot on what, what stage I am in the writing process and like how intense, whatever I'm writing is, is in my mind, you know, and, and how, how, how compelled I feel to like keep writing so that I don't lose um, my train of thought or my momentum. What makes you happy with your output that day? What, what constitutes a good writing day for you? I guess I always like to have a, a feeling that I made some progress, but I also like a feeling of closure, like, you know, finishing an important chapter, uh, not, ha- not leaving a chapter like kind of halfway, you know, halfway finished where I'm in suspense it, it, myself, you know, sometimes I'll, uh, I'll be, it'll really, I'll have trouble sleeping if I go to, if I, if I go to bed with something that was sort of critical in my story, that's, I feel I left unfinished, I'll be laying there thinking about it and wanting to make sure I don't forget, worry that I'm going to forget, you know, details that I, that, that I'm thinking of. So it's kind of like opening the floodgates and then walking away, you know, <laughs> it's hard. I'd like to kind of get to a point where I can close the floodgates back up before I walk away. Is there a, um, with that, is, is there a goal? So when you sit there in the morning after you've had breakfast with your wife, you sat there for that three hour stretch thinking, okay, I need to get to this point. I'm going to write this today. I need to get down a few pages. What's the aim? How do you know that? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think so. I usually have created for myself an outline of, in general, for, for, for the book of, you know, sort of my chapters, if you will. I'd like to leave a lot of it also open to spontaneity because to me, that's one of the most fun parts of the, of the writing process is to, is to let the characters live, you know, and make their own decisions almost like um, as I'm writing. So, so I do like to leave it a little open, but, but yeah, usually I'll know the general gist of where I'm trying to take the story in terms of the next chapter. And I, and I, and I try to really kind of um, either get to through that chapter that day, or maybe sometimes if the chapter has a couple of natural uh, breaks in it, um, you know, make it through a segment of, of the chapter. And if I, and if I feel, if I've done that, then I feel like, okay, I, I, I feel like I accomplished something, you know, today I can kind of pause. Talk us through that outline. So you said that you've, you leave room for spontaneity in there. How thorough are your chapter breakdowns? What would I find if I saw one? You find a lot of illegible handwriting, <laughs> but, um, you know, I think, um, typically, um, you know, I like to, like I said, I like to write out my outlines, but then like with my most recent novel, I found that, that, um, it was it kind of involved that the more sort of mystery or, um, you know, that kind of that kind of content, like I feel like it, it needs more more planning and more outlining because because I have to already know things that obviously the characters don't know or the readers are, are going to find out later. So in that case, I, I took my outline into into my computer, you know, and I did have I did break out more detail for each chapter, like things I knew needed to happen, 
where I wanted them to happen in, in the in the general larger outline of the book. And I also like to write a lot moving back and forth through time. So in, in the first novel that I wrote like that, I didn't really have a, an outline. I was just sort of, you know, flying by the seat of my pants. And, and I found later that it was, it, it created a lot of headaches for me in the editing process, <laughs> trying to, trying to, you know, have things consistent and make sense in the end. So, so now my outlines are a little bit more detailed, um, in, in that regard, but, but you probably would just find, um, you know, bullets under each, under each chapter kind of with key plot points, key, uh, you know, aims that I had maybe for each character, um, each major character. And, and that's about it. Not, not fully written scenes or, or dialogue or anything. You said you like to know at points more than your character does. How often do you find your character knows more than you do? I've always loved to be surprised by uh, the characters. And so I think they often know more than I do. I, I, I often, you know, go back and I deviate or edit my, my outline, which, which I like to do just because later, if I ever need to just look at the outline, you know, I, I'm not looking at, a, at something that's become outdated and obsolete. Um, so, yeah, sometimes I'll be writing something. I thought I was going to write it a certain way and the characters, you know, change change what ha- as it happens they say something different you know as i write it or they do something different um or they reveal something or discover something that i hadn't really thought of and and i just incorporate it are you always happy to go along with that or sometimes is it so so tangential and offbeat you need to rein them in i mean you're right i mean sometimes i'll write something and then i go back and i think no you know that's just not going to work <laughs> So I'll, I'll take that out and I'll think, you know, um, that, that that ends up on the cutting room floor, so, so to speak. Just lastly on the day, uh, well, actually not quite lastly on the day, how good are you at switching off in the evening when the kids come home and you need to spend time and energy with them? How good are you at putting the, the book and the story into the back of the brain? I mean, most, of the, most of the time I think pretty good, but, you know, there are times when uh, – you know, it's just impossible, especially if I'm really deep in the writing of the first draft of, of, um, you know, of a novel, suddenly I'll have this glazed over, you know, look on my eyes and my wife will say, you're not here, are you? (laughs) You're not here, are you? You know, and I'll be like, no, I'm still thinking about this, you know, chapter that I was writing or whatever. And, and then I'll, uh, you know, I'll try to snap back into it. But then I'll apologetically after dinner say, like, I hope you don't mind if I go write for a couple a couple more hours, you know. But I try not to do it uh, too consistently because, you know, that is one of the harder parts about being a writer is just that sometimes you tend to isolate yourself too much from uh, the other people in your life. Um, and and that can have its, its detrimental effects long term. Um, you've already mentioned music and, and coffee. On days when you're finding it particularly hard, uh, have have you found anything that helps you out just a little bit? Just uh, something which just helps unclog the block? Sure. You know, just taking some time to go out for a walk uh, or you do some exercise or, or, you know, just something different. Um, Sometimes, like, I'll reluctantly do that because, uh, you know, it's just going to... I can I can sense like okay I'm just banging my head against the wall here and it's not not going anywhere and it's not going to be the best writing so take a break um, get some fresh air you know do something different and then I find that if I give my mind that time then 
you know, either it will shift gears and be ready or, or certain ideas that maybe just weren't gelling or weren't fully baked will kind of, you know, come together in my mind by giving it that time rather than rushing them onto the page. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. You can hear more from Rudy in just a sec. I'm very quickly popping up just to give you a nudge towards our Patreon page. If you are enjoying the show, if you've learned anything in over 200 episodes that has helped the way that you write and plan and plot your stories, even your day. If you've made little tweaks in the way you organise a writing day so you can maximise your creativity and your writing potential, uh, you can always say thank you to us for that over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine it is completely a one-man operation this show as you might be able to tell with some of the social media posts that we put out there the lack of frequency in them it's just me i do all of this send the emails out get the publishers get the authors get the pr on side do the interview read the book edit it. it's a substantial bit of work i only say that because like a couple of dollars a month would really go a long way to help me make sure I can bring you these chats as often as I can. Chats with the best authors around, sharing the secrets of how they get stuff done. We've got some fantastic authors on the way, some really great names that I, I cannot wait for you to hear their tips and hear their advice and hear how they do what they do. We bring you an episode more or less every Friday as we move into spring and things start figuring themselves out. Hopefully we're going to bring you two episodes a week as we did in the autumn and we'll get a little bonus bite, a little random routine for you. If you'd like to see that happen, please do become a backer over our Patreon page. Just a couple of dollars a month. You can get our eternal thanks. You can get merch. You can get bonus content. There is even a way for your book to sponsor this show by backing us, pledging and supporting the show at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back to it with Rudy Ruiz then chatting about his new novel, The Resurrection of Fulgencio Ramirez. We talk more about the agenda behind the story and how he weaves social activism into the narrative. You can also hear how much he thinks about language and structure in the words that he uses. And we pick things up talking about the early drafts. How perfect 
do things need to be the first time he writes them? I like to get it pretty close the first time. Um, although sometimes, I mean, if it's really just one of those moments where inspiration struck and, you know, it's all just coming really fast, I will just go stream of consciousness, like you said, and, and get it out there. And then before I move on to the next chapter, though, I like to go back and clean it up and, and, and make it pretty close to, to the way I'd like it to be because um, that's just how I work best. I, I, I like to have a pretty strong first draft uh, when I'm finished with that with that draft. Um, I do know some other writers who agonize painstakingly, you know, over every word. And it's a very, you know, very detail oriented, slow process for them to get through the first draft. It works for them and their writing is magnificent. You know, when I read it, I'm like, wow, this is, it's a different kind of gift, (laughs) you know, than the one I feel I have. But so I admire, I admire it, um, but it, it wouldn't work for me because um, I guess uh, I guess my style of writing is just a little bit a little bit different. Now, Rudy, you've been nominated and won many uh, international Latino book awards uh, throughout the years, and your your writing talks about that and also about growing up along the American Texas border. How important is it when you are writing to fully incorporate both heritage and place in the stories you're telling? Um, For me, I I have found that a very constant source of inspiration um, in my writing. And and so for me, it's, it's become pretty important, um, you know, over the years, because I just am always drawn back to writing about um, these places, um, you know, which I'm familiar with, um, which I have history with, or, and my family has history with. Um, and I feel like at the same time, there's also a social, uh, awareness dimension to it. So I don't like to make my work sound preachy or, uh, you know, overly political, but at the same time, I feel like it's an opportunity to um, create empathy for, uh, you know, the, the types of people I tend to write about and to create greater understanding of border issues, immigration issues, um, you know, the struggles of, of, of um, you know, people coming to a new country, seeking opportunity, facing social injustices, prejudices, those types of challenges. Uh, I feel by humanizing those kind of stories and personalizing them, um, but in a, in a way that could possibly open some eyes and engage people and, and change some minds about things, um, is a wonderful opportunity if that can happen through, at the same time, entertaining and and uh, and immersive uh, writing and reading. How easy is that to? try and make a point about society and to try and influence the way people are thinking without preaching and being too much? Yeah, it's a careful, I I think it's a careful balance. I hope I achieve it. I I don't know that, you know, it's always possible, but I mean, I think, you know, (laughs) any smart reader is going to get the, get the feeling right, right by, by reading my bio that 
I might have my own agenda, but, um, you know, I think it's all about telling a story that feels authentic and natural, you know, writing for the characters in a way that feels genuine and, and really making their story, um, their human, um, you know, journey, uh, be what matters most and, and, you know, how, how the issues sort of interact and how they, you know, what they might symbolize or what things they go through might symbolize, um, you know, are going to be there for interpretation, but, but trying not to make them front and center, really trying to let the characters and their personal experience be what, what really guides the, the narrative. I had always, since childhood, wanted to be a writer. I was a writer, wanted to write novels, um, delved into it a little bit more in college, you know, writing short stories. And, and I just felt, as a writer, I just felt like there was going to be a point when I would be ready to write a novel, but I, would, I, I felt like I would know when that point was. I felt like if I tried too early in my life, like I wasn't going to have enough perspective or enough life experience to do a good job, you know, in my mind. Um, and, and so for me, it finally happened when my wife and I had our first child, our daughter, Paloma. We, we, it was 1998 and I was bringing her home from, we were bringing her home, my wife and I were bringing her home from the hospital and we were taking her upstairs to her little, you know, baby room, her, her nursery and, and, it's crazy, but I just knew this moment carrying her up the stairs. I, it felt like lightning struck, <laughs> and I suddenly had I, I I knew I was like I know the story I'm supposed to write, and it's interesting something about becoming a parent. I think and the perspective shift that I experienced suddenly opened that window to 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 the story that I that I needed to tell, and the story was was really a story I'd grown up hearing. It was. It was kind of inspired by my father's own uh, upbringing and his his life. Um, so I felt like maybe becoming a father myself um, had something to do with it, and everything clicked. And I and that inspired uh, the story of the resurrection of Fulgencio Ramirez, which is a magical realism, you know, fictionalized uh, story. But a lot of the details are are inspired by um, stories my father shared with me about him. Growing up, the son of immigrants on the U.S.-Mexico border uh, in the 1950s. You say that when you were carrying your child up to bed, it, the idea for this came to you. But what was it about it that came to you? What was that? What was the light bulb? What did you know? Did you know the characters? Did you know precisely how it would begin and end? I kind of, I kind of wrote that this book in a very the first draft it was very like as you mentioned stream of consciousness i i don't feel like i had become a, a disciplined writer yet <laughs> uh, which is a process that i feel is ongoing you know always learning how and trying to learn how to be a better writer and how to do a better job with with the stories and the characters and the narrative uh, so that first one was really like just this stream of consciousness like i knew how the story was going to begin and I knew um, aspects of how the story was going to progress based on, you know, these stories, like I mentioned that my dad had shared with me as I was growing up. 
but I didn't know how it was all going to come together yet. I didn't know, you know, what these side characters and, and other char- important characters were going to do. Um, and it just, I wrote it very stream of consciousness. And then it did take me many years of editing and rewriting um, to get it ready, which is why I probably took 20, you know, 22 years. 20, I think it was like 22 years to, to from, from the first day I started writing to when it got published. But uh, fortunately, I published other things along the way, short stories and, and whatnot. But uh, the first novel just, it took a while. So when you first sat down to write that first sentence after the initial idea, what did you think this story would be? I, you know, to me, it was it was the story of this amazing, larger than life uh, man who um, whose life had all sorts of potential, but got sort of derailed by um, the challenges he faced. Some of those challenges were internal uh, with his own personality, and and some of them were external and societal, um, and and. And so later in his life, he he gets this second chance to uh, make amends and have a, a chance to regain the love of his life that he had lost as a, as a younger person um, and kind of start over. Um, so it's really a, a, a story of resurrection or renewal and redemption. Um, and I kind of felt that from the very beginning, <clears throat> as I mentioned, like it went through a lot of <clears throat> rewriting and editing over the years. And, and so that story evolved a little bit and, and the character's journey evolved a little bit, maybe became a little bit more nuanced um, as I worked on the, on the novel, but, but the, the essence of it pretty much stayed as I, as, as I originally envisioned it. And, and I, when I say it's a fictionalized, it's because it, it kind of departs at some, at one point from, from the reality of the stories that inspired it and, and becomes its own universe. In the edit, when you were finding the shape of this story, can you tell us how classic Mexican songs helped you out with that? Yes. Well, you know, one of the things about the character of Fulgencio is that he's he's a singer and he has a beautiful a beautiful voice, uh, powerful and full of emotion. And um, this was also inspired by by real life. My father was 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 like that. He, he, he was the kind of person that would just break into song. And he, when he was younger, he would even do it in, in public places, you know, in restaurants where if there were, if there was a Mexican trio, which is a group of musicians with guitars, you know, um, he would, he would just, people knew he had an amazing voice. So someone would, would ask him to sing something. And before you knew it, the whole restaurant was like basically, uh, in awe, you know, looking, listening and, and, he was kind of a showstopper when he sang. So um, I, I felt like that was just an, a very powerful aspect of the character's personality. And it was inspired really by, by the truth. And I grew up um, listening to those old Mexican songs, mostly from the 50s. It's considered the Mexican golden age of uh, music and cinema. And there were all these great uh, boleros, they're called. They're romantic songs, songs of love, heartbreak, you know, um, of reconciliation. And what I found when I made a list of the favorite songs I'd heard my dad sing um, growing up, when I, when I, I made that list and, I, and as I went through the book and I thought about where it made sense to put the songs and everything, they ended up working as, as reflecting his journey, the character's journey, um, 
from falling in love and, and, and the wide eyed innocence and, and romance of it to heartbreak and, and loss and loneliness. Uh, and then again, to, as I mentioned, reconciliation and, and redemption. So, but in a more kind of mature and, and seasoned way. So uh, I've, I've often thought that the novel could be adapted by someone into like a musical of some kind or a musical play or, or something, because I think the songs really chart the character's journey. I speak to quite a lot of genre writers when I do this show, Rudy. Uh, crime writing, for instance. And the way crime stories are written tends to be uh, of a piece with a lot of other crime writers. So there'll be short sentences, very short, snappy words. They want you to carry on reading. How much thought did you give to the precise words that you were using and the precise structure of sentences when you were writing this novel? Um, I, I do. I, I, I do pay quite a bit of attention to that in the sense that personally, I like to write elaborate, <laughs> long, uh, very descriptive uh, sentences and I think that's because some of the writers that I, you know, whose work I fell in love with and, and, and inspired me to want to be a writer, they wrote like that. I'm thinking of people like William Faulkner or uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Um, you know, very, I remember that when I would have read their books, I mean, I'll often have to read the same paragraph over and over several times. <laughs> um to try to fully understand what they're saying, you know. Um, however, I also understand that the world of reading um, in the age that we're living in is such that, you know, not a lot of people have the patience or the time <laughs> for that kind of writing. And so for me, it's a little bit of a balancing act. I tend to let myself have fun and get carried away in the first draft. And then after my editor or agent like comes back and tells me that I have to like, you know, kill every adverb, <laughs> uh, an adjective, uh, you know, I go through the I go through the draft, and usually my first edit is all about leaning up the language and making it more concise and um, and and just you know allowing the flow for the reader to to move more more easily rather than than stopping them, you know, and, and having them give up. <laughs> and that is it with Rudy Ruiz this week on the show. Fantastic name to say, by the way. The new book is The Resurrection of Florencio Ramirez. Um, if you fancy it, you can get a copy in your local bookshop or find it online in a way that you can support those local bookshop. The small sellers on the internet that we all need to back up every now and then. Next week on the show, we're chatting to Nadine Matheson ahead of her brand new police procedural, The Jigsaw Man. Uh, she is a lawyer too, so she's come at the story from a very different perspective on what crime really means and what it takes someone to commit a crime. You can hear more about that with Nadine next week on the show. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter. We are at WritersPod there. If you can, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can get in touch with the show using the contact page at writersroutine.com. And I'd love it if you could just spare a couple of dollars each month and support the show at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. And I will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening with Nadine Matheson on the show. Until then, 
Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.